0: Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to episode 15 of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. In this episode we're going to take a different approach to those articles you see all over the place this time of year that instruct you how to talk to your relatives about politics and really anything else even beyond politics our culture is so polarized that even a holiday about solidarity and gratitude can be hijacked to create division rather than unity and so we will talk through what it looks like to have a posture of curiosity and gratitude and offer some guidance on how to navigate political discussions that do end up getting a little heated. And while Thanksgiving is the springboard to this topic, these lessons are ones that you can actually apply in every aspect of your life throughout the year. So we're going to jump right into it. We have a special guest with us today who has built her activism around building bridges, and we're excited to have Destiny Hernan de la Rosa, founder of New Wave Feminist, join the discussion. And so we'll get into that now. All right. Uh, here we are joined by Destiny Herndon De La Rosa, uh, founder of New Wave Feminist, a group, a pro-life feminist group uh, that has a different approach to the pro-life conversation. Uh, and so I thought that bringing Destiny on to talk about specifically in this episode would be instructive for kind of how to bridge those conversations where there's a lot of misunderstanding. And so she's kind of made a career out of that um, over the last 10 years in through her activism. Um, And so destiny full disclosure. I actually, we've known each other for, I think like eight years now. I first came across you about eight years ago, maybe even longer when I saw a column that you wrote in the Dallas morning news. I was like, man, I like the way this chick thinks. And this was early on in the Facebook days before it was kind of creepy to just like friend, a random person. But that is exactly what I did, and you accepted, and this is now where we find ourselves today. So, I'll kind of hand it off to you to, to talk a little bit more about who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, journalism. well, I've been friending people on Facebook. Uh, I don't know, like I've been in that game for a long time. So, for us, uh, a yeah. big a big reason I think I actually do that is because. In social media circles, a lot of times we do end up creating these echo chambers. And so I love people who think differently and challenge me. And I think that that kind of is at the crux of new wave feminist. Um, being a pro-life feminist group, it's funny. I always joke that we have something for everyone to love and something for everyone to hate. Because usually if I tell you I'm pro-life and then follow it with the word feminist, there's going to be something that doesn't quite sit well with you. Uh, But but the good news is because we're pro-life feminists, we also have this kind of like strand of there's probably something in there you agree with if we can get beyond the labels, which is something that I found is really difficult, um, increasingly difficult in this day and age because We want to other people. We want to put them in this group. It's kind of um, this lazy mental exercise we do where if we know the way someone voted or the way they stand on this one issue, then we just go ahead and we assume that we know everything else about them. So my group, New Wave Feminist, is focused a lot on um, pro-life activism, but also feminist activism and kind of the root causes that lead a lot of women to feel like, you know, abortion is their only option, which isn't pro-life or pro-choice. Uh, and so we address some of those things, like what are these systems of oppression that are keeping women down and how can we love them better? And usually when I start talking about that, most people jump on board. Uh, my group kind of got put on the map a few years ago when we were included as a sponsor for the women's March on Washington, which was an amazing event. Um, but a few days before it, they, they knew we were pro-life when we filled out the form, we said, We're anti abortion, but here's a list of other things that we agree on and we want to stand in solidarity with you. And so they accepted us and we were sponsors for a full, glorious four days. And then (laughs) The Atlantic (laughs) came out with this article that was kind of praising the Women's March and saying they truly are being inclusive. They even have pro life women going. And as soon as that article hit the internet, um, Twitter exploded, and everyone lost their minds. And so it's funny because I'm like, women are so strong; we can't handle anything except Twitter, evidently. So as soon as Twitter <laughs> started, it was like they removed us immediately from the the list of sponsors, and uh, it kind of created this national dialogue of can you be pro life and a feminist? And then from that, something really cool happened: doing a lot of media. I probably did two hundred interviews in like this week or two span. Um, yeah, it was it was exciting. My husband was like, "Can you please take your personal phone number off the website?" Because I was <laughs> talking to like New York Times and Fox News and like someone's HOA newsletter. Like I was just like, "No, this is a golden opportunity to spread this message." And so in the beginning, I found a lot of the media outlets wanted me to badmouth the women's march. Um, And they wanted me to talk trash and I just wouldn't do it. You know, I kept saying like the whole reason I'm even here to talk to anybody is because of, you know, this quote unquote controversy. So I probably owe them all a fruit basket. Like this is, (laughs) this is the best thing that ever happened. And the more that I started talking about this belief that we follow, which is called the consistent life ethic, um, were anti-unjust war, anti-torture, anti-death penalty, and then we extended into the womb when human beings are at their weakest and most vulnerable by being anti-abortion. Uh, people started connecting to that because even if they disagreed with the abortion stance or maybe the death penalty stance or the war stance, like there was still something in there that they agreed with. And it was fascinating to see how the human brain works because uh, everyone thinks they're the smartest. Like, that's how they came to these conclusions. And so if they agree with you on something, then clearly you're not crazy because you think the same way they do. And so then they were much more willing to kind of, you know, open their hearts and minds to listen to these other messages we had, and these things that we were talking about. Um, and then in the end, we ended up going to the Women's March expecting, you know, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And, it just ended up being this lovely day of sisterhood and camaraderie. And I remember in particular that morning, um, this older woman came charging up to me. And those are the ones who really tend to dislike my pro-life stance the most because they were around for row. And so she looks at me and she's like, it's wrong. And I like, I don't, I don't know if I thought she was going to start throwing hands. I don't know what I thought she was going to do, but I kind of like backed up a little and she goes, that they kicked you out of this March <laughs> and, oh, I'm like, wow. and she's holding her Planned Parenthood sign and, you know, all of this stuff. And I just thought that's really beautiful that even though we ideologically disagree on something, we can still agree that all of our voices are important. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I have carried, not just with my activism, but in my home life and in everything, you know, like finding the value in other people's voices and not dehumanizing them in my attempt to humanize the unborn person or women. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I think that that's a great framing for exactly what we want to talk about today. And, uh, you know, the title of this episode is, you know, how to talk to relatives about politics at Thanksgiving. And even that title alone is actually kind of not 100 percent accurate because you see those articles come out this time of year every year. Uh, And those are normally coming from people in the media. And so we kind of actually we kind of want to poke fun of that it around and turn it back on us uh, to be good listeners uh, and to posture ourselves uh, that we aren't the we don't know everything and that we're going to go into a, a social setting where uh, our worldviews are going to be challenged and they are going to be a little bit uncomfortable because of our exposure. And I think it says something too that if we're going and if the idea is that by going home or by being around family uh, that we're going to be uncomfortable, then what does that say about who we're surrounding ourselves normally with and are we only surrounding ourselves with like-minded people and to the point that when we go home to see family or to talk to family that that's the only time that we're going to be challenged and i think that that's kind of an interesting idea in itself and so brandon uh i'm gonna hand it off to you if you have any thoughts around that uh around that idea yeah
2: definitely i think um you're exactly right i mean when we Living in this uh, extraordinarily polarized culture, we do tend to clump together, and I think that's something that's not dissimilar, you know, from history. You know, like like sort of goes with like in a sense, you know. And I think we experience that a lot, you know, through our lives and throughout history, we've experienced that. So, um, but I think you know what's really unique um, about this time in history is that I, I it's it's hard for me to say that we've had um, in my short 30 plus years, whatever, I won't say my actual age, but that's (laughs) fine, of just living, (laughs) that um, we've had um, such an uncivilized rhetoric, um, with the exception of maybe the the civil rights movement, and then, you know, some other periods in history, you know, but at least not since, um, you know, since that time period, I mean, even things going on in In the 80s, you know, war on crack, you know, the 90s, you were talking about crime or things like that. There was this passionate rhetoric, but people were still able to come together and see the value in each other and think the best about each other. And I think now, you know, for whatever reason, it's too, it's really painful for an individual, depending on where you sit on all of these thoughts on policy or Trump or politics and government, you know, all... All-encompassing, you know, for it's it's just it's really hard for people to to not feel wounded and 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 to not feel offended, and it's a little easier to numb that if you're with people that are quote unquote just like you or don't push you in a certain direction, and um, you know when it comes time for the holidays, you know if if your family um, leans more one way and you've gone in another direction, you know. Um, then um then then that could be really hard because we have these thoughts you know that are that we want to really reflect you know what the values of our families are you know um i was raised a, a certain way and um there are some things that i deviate from you know from how i was raised and i remember first thinking about um or just naturally deviating from some of the thought process or some of the expression of certain political ideals and uh or certain social ideals even and um thinking, man, what a disillusionment, because I thought, man, like maybe my folks like lied to me. I thought they were, (laughs) you know, like are, are they different than what I thought they were? Am I different? Like, this seems like criminal. And Mm. when you're, when you're younger or just a little bit more triggered, then you can start to judge people that really mean a lot to you Mm. and for whom you mean a lot to as well. And, um, you know, the challenge is to um, see the value to not um, take the humanity out of anyone even if they think something differently than you, even if they approach you um, with a little bit more animus, um, then it's still up to us, you know, um, as individuals who are who have a personal responsibility of our own bodies, of our of our own volume, of what we say, of how we think, of our own posture when it comes to reinforcing a shared value for humanity and anybody. And um, that doesn't mean that we don't, um, you know, that we never disagree it's all about how we disagree and it's how we treat people and um, and we don't really learn how to do that unless you are intentionally talking to people that are different who have different ideals who um, have the maturity to have a conversation with you and hopefully you're having the maturity to listen as well and to learn from someone that you typically wouldn't be talking to I guess you know and yeah. I get it I, I I know it's painful, I know it's hard, you know, but I think in the grand scheme of things, you know like no one's getting waterboarded here, <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like no one's getting um, you know sprayed by, by fire hoses. Um,
0: Your um, Thanksgiving or, or must lunch. be different than mine.
2: Really? Maybe <laughs> so, Destiny. I mean, you know, well, it's true. I'm not doing a Texas Thanksgiving, so I don't know. You know, I don't know what you guys are doing down there. You kind of have your own rules. <laughs> we
1: we actually every Thanksgiving in Texas, we every family does an Alamo reenactment. We oh do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's but then we've crazy. added the
0: waterboarding now. Just to have you more, added the yeah, waterboarding? Yeah, make it more you know? I
2: figure that's big... just triggering to me. I don't I don't think I could do it. I'd be totally triggered. That's why Black folks don't swim now. Too much crazy water. <laughs> going on in your face <laughs> yeah.
0: you know it's Great. funny like my my grandfather he used to always say this and i think it's something that really kind of formed who i was he would always say you can disagree without being disagreeable yes. and so sticking with that and thinking you know we can have different opinions but as long as we see the humanity in others then I think that's where you are able to have that civil discourse and actual thoughtful conversations. Um, But when we walk in, you know, Mark, you mentioned earlier these articles and they basically tell you to walk in and this is your, this is your battleground. This is your Alamo that you need to go and educate people and you need to teach them and get them woke and all of these other things. And so when you walk in with that um, arrogance and, and air of condescension rather than that humility of, You know, maybe this is sure impart some of my knowledge because I have had different experiences or become more enlightened about, you know, the justice atrocities that are going on. Um, Then you get to have conversations rather than debates. And I think the issue is when we walk in thinking we know everything. Um, There was an episode of This American Life years ago on NPR, and they coined this term modern jackass that people Mm -hmm. will will walk in and, and pretend like they know everything about everything. And so it was this group of friends that had walked into this old brownstone in New York. And as soon as they got in, they all started talking about the architecture and throwing out words that sounded right, but none of them actually knew what they meant. And finally, oh. the woman in the group said, you get that none of us actually know what we're talking about, right? Like, Because they were debating, they, it started getting very <clears throat> heated. And So this idea that everybody kind of knows about 10 percent, like very few of us are experts on anything. We know about 10 percent about everything, whether it's healthcare or the justice system or even politics half the time. And so you sure you can talk about the 10 percent that you actually understand. But a lot of that posturing comes from trying to act like you understand the 90 Mm percent.
2: Yeah, that's totally right. And, uh, you know, I think you're Your experience in that—I mean, I know that Mark and I have had a lot of experience in just like how do you talk to the other—and it's this thing that um, you know John Stott, who is a theologian, you know, had this whole idea about what it meant to be a a mature, um, socially um, like engaged Christian and believer, sort of, you know—and he has this thing called engaging without compromising, you know, and I think that. When, when we get into these sort of situations, especially when it's the people that are the closest to you, the people that have raised you maybe, you know, or your siblings, that we forget that they are not superhuman, right? Like they only know 10% of what they know or, or whatever of what the world knows to you and we only know a certain piece and really it's really essential for us to come together so we get a fuller picture of what's going on in the world different perspectives um but how is it that people have not just the ability or the skill set for this but the posture and the value for really engaging in love without compromising your values that you can actually do both um and that your values can change or they can mature Um, even as you're talking to people over the Thanksgiving dinner table, just don't let the turkey leg throw, like go out into your face or whatever. Like don't Mm -hmm. throw it at somebody, you know, (laughs) because they disagree with you, you know, just say, Hey, I have a turkey leg. Would you like some turkey too? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and (laughs) I'm actually a vegetarian. Oh, I no, no! You're not a vegetarian, <laughs> Mark. You are not a vegetarian, and I, I, I know meat. we're and listen. And Destiny knows you're not a vegetarian. Yeah, too. you're like not. That's, that's right.
0: illegal in Texas. You're not allowed. To it do is illegal in you know. Texas. They'll that is
2: where our consistent life ethic stops. Like we will cut the cow. <laughs> you know, we're done with it
0: then. Yeah. I actually I think had it's... a group of students who took me out to a vegan restaurant in St. Louis one time because they said, "Well, you're feminist, right? So aren't you vegan?" Uh, and it was like I guess I can have the wine here. Like I can't. There's literally nothing else on the menu I know how to eat. So. Yeah. That's
1: awesome! Oh, realize, great! That's so and much I realize fun. I realize we're kind of shaming some vegetarians. We love you. We love you, vegetarians and vegans. Um, <laughs> I was vegan before. I've done. Oh, I've really? been vegan
2: before. I've been vegetarian before. That's right. Yep. So, I was vegan for a whole two weeks and I loved it. So <laughs> I know we're gonna move on to the next part of this conversation. But I just want everyone to know
1: that we're equal opportunity. That. I've
2: been there and I loved it. It was very clean. It was lovely.
1: Yeah. So I do think that that's kind of a fascinating thing is, and that's why I roll my eyes every time these articles come out is because Thanksgiving itself is a time of solidarity. And we're suggesting to people that they put aside that, that posture to go into this holiday that is all about gratefulness. And we've talked, I think a little bit about how gratefulness uh, and hate or anxiety, they can't simultaneously like, uh, exist in the same space and um and so that heart of gratitude that really kind of infuses everything if you have a posture of gratitude then you will see the other person if you're grateful for the person who's across the dinner table from you um then you can't help but see them as as whole you know um and you're not going to be defensive with whatever it is that they say so i just think i think that's fascinating and condescension destiny Mm -hmm. you use that word i think that's that's exactly exactly right um There are some things though that like, and this will be helpful in our everyday, not just around the dinner table, but there are times when people, when they're bringing up things that can get a little heated um, and can be a little derogatory. So I think that that is a question that I would give to both of you is what is worth responding to? How much do you just let them vent and how derogatory does it have to be before you kind of interject and let them know that they're kind of misstepping
0: i think i think it's interesting because at the end of the day you have to go home and be able to live with yourself you know and so there's a certain line where if you're allowing people to say something in front of you then the question becomes why were they comfortable saying that in front of me what have i put off that would make them think that i would be okay with them using that derogatory word or saying this insane thing I think there's other times, though, where they're testing you out because especially around the holidays, you maybe only see some of these people once or twice a year. And so they, you know, they might see you sharing articles on Facebook and kind of tell that you're progressing maybe with your ideology to some (laughs) degree. And so they're kind of testing the waters and saying something extra and saying to see what your response would be. And I've found that there are certain times where you can just laugh. That's a perfectly good response, you know. I, I hate the new passive aggressive thing people do on Facebook, where they like do the laugh react whenever they <laughs> disagree with somebody. So don't do don't do the real life version of that. But I think it can be kind of a uh, okay. I, we you know agree to disagree, and then you walk away. But there are other times where there's an opportunity to plant that seed and to say, you know especially around a holiday like Thanksgiving, where it should be focused on gratitude. I heard a speaker one time say the opposite of entitlement is gratitude. And Mm. so you can't have both at the same time. And I think when we get to that place where it is, you know, America first or whatever else, which America is a great place, like there have been so many opportunities, but we also have to recognize the speckled past and the missteps and say something, you know, along the lines of, yeah, I I agree with that. Like we've been given a lot of opportunities. There's still so much for growth here too. Don't everybody to be able to sit around a table with their families and have the same things we do and you know this idea that we were given much so that we can give much and putting that empathy in other people's hearts and minds so that they realize not everybody is having the same experience that we are today and not everybody has the same opportunities that we do and a lot of times it's just a matter of you don't know what you don't know and so if they're in their own echo chamber you know you you wouldn't want to necessarily pass up the opportunity to help them get out of it a little bit, you know, by offering another perspective. But again, it has to be that, um, you know, disagreeing without being disagreeable and having it lighthearted. I remember last year, I actually had a friend of mine named Christian. He had come out to my family's Thanksgiving and we're kind of a catch all for everybody. If you don't have somewhere to go, come hang out with us. (laughs) And so another friend of mine started talking about the Black Lives Matter issue. And it was like, why, why was this being brought up to the one black person at the party? And, oh, and no. you know what I mean? But at the same time, it was like, maybe she wanted a little course correction. And so she started kind of gently and he's this wonderful gay friend of mine. And so his response was, Oh honey. And he just went into this <laughs> thing. and I, thought, <laughs> I wish I could start my things that same way. Just, Oh honey, let me break it down for you. And they ended up having a pretty productive conversation for the most part. And He didn't necessarily, you know, radically change her views, but he gave her some insight from a different perspective that she didn't have beforehand.
2: And it was his posture too, right? I mean, don't you wish we had a little bit more honey? (laughs) You know what I mean? Just to take it with, right? You know, just to drown some of the more difficult conversations in a lot more honey. You know, I think will make people really take these things a little bit easier when they feel love at the front. And they feel this connection at the front, but it takes a really integral person, right. Just to show up with that kind of identity and just say, Hey, look, I'll engage it, but I'm going to call you honey. Cause you're sweet to me and I love you, you know, and I just met you today. You know, I think that that's just a way of life, you know, for a lot of people and, um, but just not enough of us yet. You know, we are able to like approach without here again, to engage without compromising the, um, there's, there's this interesting irony around the Thanksgiving holiday too. You know what I mean? I think there's, you know, the way this is told in our storybooks, your textbooks, or, you know, is this amazing union, you know, between the Europeans and the, and the Native Americans, right, you know, that we broke bread. And there's this, like, amazing moment of gratitude, and just sharing life and sharing culture and food, right. And the reality of that history, to your point, Destiny, is that that's not exactly what happened. It's not exactly the relationship be, you know, that ended up developing, you know, over time. And so there is a lot to be thankful for. um, But we should recognize that sometimes we are just duped by rhetoric and thinking (laughs) that this is some magical holiday that doesn't come with its own context, right, that needs to be contextualized in reality of what happened during that era during that time of history and yet we can still take from it and say this is still valid it's still a legitimate holiday where we get to come together as friends as family we put aside maybe some of our um, some of our enemies you know for just a second and just sort of look and say you know what even you are worth um, sort of putting things aside in some native cultures they have this thing called um, forgiveness without repentance and what that like essentially means is that the person that you're going to forgive, if you need to forgive, doesn't have to come to you first and ask you for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's a cultural thing that's embedded in, into the identity of a value, right, of a value system. Um, and they believe that, that each person can give up their entitlement, right, um, so that they can forgive and then break bread you know, and, and have a wonderful time, even in the, mix, in, even in the midst of contentious um, words and conversation at the dinner table. So, maybe that's what they were doing over the Thanksgiving turkey, over the first thanks, Thanksgiving turkey, or if you're vegan, over the Thanksgiving tofurkey. And, um, uh, but that's, uh, that's, I think, something re- where we can strive to really get to um, is to uh, really put our differences aside for that moment. If someone uses the N word or something like that, you know, there's, there's no formula for how to interact there. I, I think that really depending on the, the family dynamic, If it's a healthy family dynamic, um, then maybe there's a way, you know, to, um, to engage that, you know, um, people have to trust their intuitions. I think, um, if it's an unhealthy family dynamic, um, for whatever reason, I mean, like really like not, not healthy at all. I mean, some people have to consider going somewhere else. I I think, you know, I, I, know a lot of people that have to do that because their, their families just aren't healthy for whatever reason. Um, and, um, and it's just better for them personally because um, they have to live with themselves you know once they go home on on friday or it's saturday or sunday whenever they get back to their regular lives you know they have to um sort of say you know what i'm still okay and not gonna let the holidays put me into seasonal depression or make that depression worse <laughs> you know and then we've got um, you know we've got the you know christmas and kwanzaa and hanukkah and all these things coming up too you know so it's just not You know, Mm -hmm. you have to Mm -hmm. trust yourself, trust your intuition. That's basically what I'm saying about how, how to engage, just have a better posture for engaging that if you can. Yeah.
1: One of the things that, um, I, I I still struggle with that, honestly, like how do you respond to that? Um, to someone using the N word, my grandfather had used the N word a couple of times. I remember. Um, but he also late in life had a, kind of a real sweet relationship with a black man who Mm. um, came around. And so what was interesting for me was to see him use the N word, but then to have this real kind of sweet relationship with this black man. And so I'm like, okay, well, he's using this, this word. And now he is in relationship with this, this person, like what, how do those things like there's some tension there and, and his perception probably of how he grew up, but then in his one on one relationships, he is, like, again, doesn't really influence it. He has this idea of, of people, but um, in his everyday interaction, it, it isn't shaped by that. Um, so that's kind of a fascinating uh, yeah, tension there. To definitely. Me, but- but I, I think you know, I, did
0: wonder. I think a lot of times we expect everyone to see the world through the 2018 lens. And I mm-hmm. find this a lot in my feminist work because I don't think people realize how far we've progressed and even just things that are acceptable, the way we treat women, you know, watch any movie from the 80s, Porky's or, you know, nerds or any of these things and see the way that. Um, consent wasn't a thing and I had a really eye-opening experience actually where I went and saw 16 candles with a group of women uh, a couple years back and I had never seen it before and we're at Alamo Draft house watching it and you know they play all the old movies and so we're having a great time and it's a quote along and then all of a sudden there's this scene where um, Michael Anthony Hall's character hands off his completely passed out girlfriend or, or Jake Ryan sorry hands off the completely passed out girlfriend to Michael Anthony Hall and he's like, have fun with her just get her home by morning And all of a sudden, this hush fell over everyone in the audience. It's like, (laughs) what are we watching right now? Like, how is this acceptable? And then realizing how, you know, to me, I can I can find the gratitude even in that we have progressed so far that that's something unfathomable now. And that's something that we call out now. And Mm -hmm. for older generations, they just aren't there yet and they don't get it. And I would say, you know, normally it's you have the crazy old uncle that says something like that and you just kind of walk out of the room and ignore it uh, because, I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, but they're going to die soon. And so it's one of those where it's like, oh, that, that, <laughs> right. that, that way of thinking is going away. But the problem is we're seeing this resurgence with that way of thinking because there are still little nieces and nephews running around hearing it and saying, OK, this is normal and it's not being countered. Nobody's saying anything about this. And, right. I don't think, you know, as you were mentioning really what Thanksgiving is and the atrocities that happened to Indigenous people afterwards, I actually started thinking oh, maybe that's the best way to celebrate Thanksgiving like, you break bread, you have a lovely time, and then afterwards, that's when like the throwdown and the slaughter should happen (laughs) just to to commemorate it properly right? (laughs) But but in all reality, I think like some of these thoughts have to be challenged, and not even just because you're going to change the mind of the person you're challenging, but because there are people watching it, and this is such an insidious Like racism is such a wound on this nation that if we allow it to be something that we just ignore, I think that's just as dangerous as participating in it oftentimes.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, I thought this was interesting. You mentioned children specifically And one of our listeners asked us on our Instagram page, if we had any tips or resources in uh, in talking to children specifically about race or political things like that, uh, and one thing, you know, Brandon has worked in social work before. He's worked with children. Destiny, I know that you have included your children. And, and that's kind of a, a tradition that goes all the way back to suffrage. You see old photos of women with kids in strollers in marches. And I think part of that is because they have to, if they're going to go out on a march, who's going to be babysitting the kids, right? But, um, but how do you talk to children? Do either of you have tips on how to, to include them in these kind of conversations?
0: You know, the funny thing is I've found kids just like with grief, they'll say kids understand it better than anyone else. I've mm-hmm. found that with my pro-life activism, my children have understood it more than anyone. And it's just, you don't have that kind of jadedness yet. And you don't have uh, the rhetoric in your head yet. And the same has been true with race issues. I remember years ago, my daughter was two or three years old and there was a little boy that I was watching. And so the mom had dropped him off and he was black. And, you know, I immediately in that moment when the mom drops him off and she's standing there talking to me at my door and I, my gosh, I didn't, warn my daughter like not that there needed to be a warning but there probably needed to be some sort of conversation beforehand um and you know we had you know people of color in our life and so I didn't think it was like you know she was going to be seeing a unicorn or anything but I was (laughs) little kids don't have that filter and I was afraid something might come up and I remember her walking in the room and going oh my gosh and I'm terrified at this point and then she's like he's so cute and just runs (laughs) over and starts squishing his face and, like, playing with his hair. I love it. It was – I mean, it was just so totally natural. Like, I do think that, you know, racism and bias, like, that is a very learned thing. And it's learned – through children seeing those interactions that aren't Mm -hmm. challenged and also through seeing your own behavior so if we hadn't had people of color in our life and this was the first black person my daughter had ever seen that would have been a different conversation but it is you know people in our, our close family and people who come over for thanksgiving and everything else and so i think that the best way to teach your children is not necessarily with this whole conversation on on race and systemic oppression. It's more just modeling for them what it's like to recognize the human dignity of every single person around you and embrace their cultures and ask them to incorporate that in your children's lives, you know, and when they see it lived out, it's much easier for them to model that behavior growing up.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think modeling is the number one thing that we can do, I'd say modeling and then honesty, Um, especially as children get older. There was this um, Facebook uh, little video, like an inspirational video that I saw earlier this week about um, two boys who are probably eight or nine. um, One was black, one was white. uh, They're best friends. And the um, white boy got into a really bad accident and couldn't um, walk um, for a while. And then the black Uh, friend um, was with him like every day and encouraging him to walk again. And he got, and, and he was able to walk again. And what I thought was really fascinating about that is that, and to your point, Destiny, how natural that was for those boys, but their, their mothers, if I'm thinking about like, what is the challenge with their mothers being able to say, these are, these kids are coming from some different perspectives, different worlds, or maybe just that they are as as parents, you know, what does it mean? But they were so courageous in modeling what it meant, you know, to actually be together and looking at someone and their humanity and valuing them and actually stepping up to the plate to help someone else when that need was apparent. And, um, and when they're younger at that stage, I think you can teach a little bit more um, with a little bit more force and anchor through the example that we set as, as adults. I think what becomes a little bit more difficult is then when kids get a little bit older, And uh, into the adolescent stage and then having these conversations, you know, sometimes we dumb them down as like adults, you know, we don't, we like avoid these conversations with our kids, just like we avoid the conversations on sex and things like that. You know, we avoid conversations on race. And in my experience, what I know is that they already know so much, they're getting their information from their friends or from the internet. Now, it means so much. And it will mean so much for parents or guardians, whoever it is to be so open and transparent um, about this this need to really value the other, um, that perspective is going to be different. If you are um, a Black family raising a Black son as opposed to a white family raising a white son, that perspective is going to be different um, um, in terms of the approach. But I think that the value system can be the same or at least close to it where it says... We're not going to make a difference unless we actually start to um, not not only model, but create circumstances where we can be together as people, you know, so.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's good. And, and thinking back in to my own childhood, how kind of my ideas on race were shaped was uh, by modeling, not being preached at by exposure. Um, and, and honestly, like PBS watching, like PBS was great. You know, I was homeschooled. And so there was a lot of, uh, PBS on in our house. And so, and, and growing up in church and being told to be colorblind. And I was just like, okay. Um, <laughs> we like, oh, I'm, colorblind. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to love all people. And we talked about how that proved to be problematic later mm-hmm. in life, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I really did. I loved people and it did not matter what kind of background they were coming from. And that was all about exposure and uh just what i saw modeled to me honestly even through television and pbs and uh, watching a, a diverse set of characters played out in front of my eyes and uh, but i think there there are some times uh here we're, we're kind of coming up on time but there's some things that i want to get to before our call to action and before we mention some resources brandon um uh, that you had mentioned that could be good for for children specifically
0: uh
2: yeah sure so there are um some resources, some children's books that have been written, um, we're going to send a link out um, you know, on the Facebook page and things like that of a New York Times article that lists a great deal of these resources. But um, three of them that I thought were really great is um, a children's book called The Skin You Live In by Michael Tyler. And another one is Same But Different by Jenny Sue Kostecki Shaw. It's a wonderful name. I love her. Yeah. I don't know her, but I love her name. And then the final resource is the, the Snowy Day, which is a really great text. It's, it's the first full um, book uh, that was illustrated in color uh, with an African-American child as the main character, and that's by Ezra Jack Keats. So um, go out, do some research, and definitely feel free to like, take those books and read those to, to your kids just to expose them um, mm-hmm. to a different range of shade, yeah. if you will. You know? Yeah.
1: And if you're a teacher, just have them in your classroom. Have them on your bookshelf. Definitely. Um, So, uh, and then before we get into our call to action, and I just realized I just like did a major sniffle. um, (laughs) There, there's something that we like. Uh we were talking earlier before we started recording, Brandon. You mentioned what are what are some 10 ways to recognize your the problem at Thanksgiving? And I thought that yeah. was really funny and just yeah. a fun exercise to take <laughs> a It's a fun
2: little exercise. We don't have quite our ten. We're gonna refine this list and also send this out to you, but just some of the ideas. I mean, I I mean, here's the impetus behind this list is oftentimes we point the finger, right? And we talk a lot on this podcast about curious about ourselves. I think we should laugh at ourselves too a little bit, you know, and um, this is part of that exercise. Um, So we're going to riff a little bit and come up with like 10 or so ways, maybe a little bit less, 10 ways to recognize that you're the problem at Thanksgiving. Okay. (laughs) So some of the things that we've come up with, if, um, is if, if you're the one constantly rolling your, your eyes and people notice it, (laughs) then maybe you're the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, If everyone keeps asking you, oh, honey, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? (laughs) Then maybe you're the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're wearing political attire to the Thanksgiving dinner, this one was Destiny's. that was great. That's like, if you, if you're wearing the the button or the make America great again hat, then maybe you're the problem at Thanksgiving dinner. Right. (laughs) Um, I can stop there if you guys want to talk a little bit more because those Just, are really funny. Yeah, yeah
0: my end. my other one was uh, if you park your car in a way where all of your relatives have to walk by and see all your inflammatory bumper stickers, <laughs> then, then maybe that's something I did recently and should probably stop.
2: Maybe that's something you did recently. Okay. okay. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is
0: I – I guess till today I didn't realize I was the problem because usually oh. I am... <laughs> your listicle helps me. I usually, I mean, I spend my days building bridges with other people and people who I don't know at all. But then it's so funny, like your own family, I guess, because yeah. you know that they can't like, uh, I don't know, uh, disavow you or something and like, uh. and leave you. And so you tend to just give it a little bit more with them. Right. And they're the ones who throw out these inflammatory things and then you have to respond to them. And so in years past, it's always been the case. So this year I wore both my political button to an event and then also parked my car in a way where everyone had to see my bumper stickers and, uh, just, just kind of to poke back for fun, but then immediately regretted it as soon as soon as I did. Yeah.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. No, I think that's great. I think the only like other one that, that you came up with, um, that was really great destiny is if you go into the um into the place we're having dinner and then you change the television station from like (laughs) from football to like the news channel of your flavor like fox news or cnn (laughs) you know maybe you're the problem at thanksgiving (laughs) you just turn
0: the volume all the way up and start nodding your head in agreement yeah (laughs)
2: Yeah. I said, maybe it's, it's like Laura Ingram, you know, on the television, you know, talking about everyone should just stay in their lane and stick to basketball. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's going to, that's a little salacious, you know, for, for, for Turkey and stuffing, you
0: know? Oh, and then we said, yeah, and then play the national anthem and see who stands up that's right <laughs> oh
2: my gosh you see who who like stands up and who kneels
0: <laughs> and then oh right gosh. there that's how you pick your flag football teams for for after the that's,
2: right. that's right that's right full that's contact.
0: Right. <laughs> Mini full <single> war.
2: contact <laughs> hopefully there's not a full negative contact going on after <laughs> someone kneels at the anthem you know amazing amazing great well that's all i think i think we should definitely like refine this list and put this out i think yep. that'd be great
1: that would be great. I feel like a very
2: David Letterman ish, you know, kind of. putting oh, on
1: yes, a, for sure. A list sure. of ten, ten things, you know. Yeah, you know, and who who was the OG who started the listicle? That was, I think, that was the big man with the the Ten Commandments and the oh. good listicle. <laughs> Moses. Moses. <yeah>. God.
0: Vernon yeah. <laughs> right. Bush. That's right. Uh,
1: so I hope that this is also so inspired, um, but. <laughs> Uh, at the end of every episode, we want to leave you with a call to action, something that you can kind of reflect on after this episode and take into, you know, not only do we want you to just sit and listen with us, uh, and, um, you know, hope that something is agitated within you, but then put your feet to action. And what is something that you can do this week, tomorrow that you can take from this episode and put into practice. And so, um, I think all three of us, this is a little different from normal, but all three of us had some ideas on what we can do uh, to kind of see the other and posture ourselves. And so destiny uh, I liked really what you had brought up earlier earlier, before we started recording if you want to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the call to action that I do when I speak at colleges is I always tell the kids to go out that following week and have coffee with someone who has a completely different opinion than you do on whatever particular issue, because I've found that I have coffees with people nonstop and it is something that, you know, sometimes we agree on some stuff and sometimes we disagree on a lot, but it has built my empathy and understanding and really solidified not just my own positions, but, you know, where my blind spots are and things that I can be doing better. And it has given me the um, the ability to have natural discourse with people and understand where they're coming from, because I think so often we're being told what to think, whether it's from the echo chambers we've created or news media or whatever. We have to have this opinion on this thing because this is what aligns with our politics. And so then when someone challenges that, because it's not a true thought out belief that we've actually like come up with ourselves, we tend to be very combative. And so if we instead flesh out some of these ideas and really think through them, then you end up owning them And I found that there's so much less emotion tied to it when you, you know, it's that thing where anytime I'm fighting with my husband and I'm wrong, like both times, (laughs) um, both times, both times that that's happened, (laughs) I have been very defensive, right? Because you know, you're wrong, like a piece of you knows you're wrong. And so (laughs) you end up being um, extra emotional and over the top. But anytime you actually have come to an opinion, but are kind of willing to, you know, we talked about this earlier, the idea of listening to hear not listening to respond so Mm -hmm. you're listening to people to actually understand where they're coming from and it will make you a better you know more whole person when it comes to your views and and ideas and the way that you're able then to converse with others Mm -hmm.
1: and that brings up a good point to brandon what your call to action was specifically how yeah Definitely.
2: Um, it ties right in to active listening, you know, um, exactly what Destiny's talking about. And um, I, I think that we oftentimes or sometimes we can encourage people to active, li- to active listening. And I'm finding that a lot of people just aren't active listeners. The reason why is because, I mean, I'm bringing a therapeutic, you know, the point of view to most of my relationships, you know, like I went to school for this, like I am an active listener, I'm a trained listener. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes my, my expectation is that everyone has that skill because I do it Mm. so often. in like my daily life and destiny, I'm sure you're the same, Mark. I know you're the same that we spend so much time talking to people, but listening to them as well. And most people actually don't do that. Most people are, you know, sitting at a desk They're, you know, maybe it just task oriented in their jobs or whatever it might be. Um, When it comes to these types of contentious topics, you know, like a lot of folks don't know how to handle their triggers. And so they aren't listening to be, heard or or listening to understand, you know, they aren't waiting for the the final period on what someone has said so they can process it and then give an educational or a kind of an authentic response to what they heard. Um, So I think doing some research, what is active listening, you know, Um, go on Google. It's our best friend. Sometimes, sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is um, where you can just find out what this thing is. Don't just assume that you know how to do it. Don't just assume that you're doing good at it. When you yeah. think you're doing it, right? Yeah, am if I doing you were, it right now? Uh, no. Um, how <laughs> do <laughs> I, I wait, know I'm not doing it right now? Wait, you wait for the person to finish talking and <laughs> then you give a response mark. That's how this okay. works. Okay. So, But there are strategically placed interruptions that are about engagement, not about totally interrupting the, the person's strain of thought. You let them finish what their thought process is. And then you react emotionally, relationally, authentically to what was said, not just, oh, gosh, I can't wait for them to shut up so I can make the point I want to make and then move on to the next part of your life. You know, that's that's sometimes how, how we treat each other. goes back to humanization, and I think humility is, is actually very much a part of that. So, yeah, so that's the call to action.
0: And I would say a lot of times also asking questions. So if you find that you're just shooting out answers back to them, you're not active listening. But if you're genuinely listening, then you end up having questions for them and you want them to, you know, expand on what they're already saying. And so that's always a good sign. Have I asked a lot of questions? Am I actually listening so that I can learn something from them? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a huge part of it.
1: 100%. 100%. And it's interesting, Brandon, you mentioned, and you are trained in active listening. And even in, so my call to action was ask yourself if what you're hearing is wrong, if your first reaction is to correct, because you think something's wrong. uh, And it, it, your first reaction is that because instinctually, if you know, something feels wrong, because maybe it's contrary to what you know, or believe. uh, But maybe in that moment, Ask yourself, is it really, though? Is it really wrong? And you can, as Destiny said, follow up with some questions. You know, I'm not understanding fully. Can you help me understand is a good question. If you find yourself um, not necessarily aligning with what they're saying. Um, but even after the conversation, you can go home and really kind of reflect on it and say, is this wrong? And that's, you know, as a trained journalist uh, and a fact checker, my, my first job was as a fact checker. I learned mm. real quickly that you know facts are one thing, and then uh, perspectives from those facts. Mm-hmm. Those facts inform us, but uh, we can also have different perspectives and um, simultaneously contain different views. Um, and ask yourself, is it really wrong, or mm-hmm. is it just contrary to to what I'm feeling? So it's good. Yeah,
0: I, I, love, good I love the uh, help me understand because I found the two most powerful things when having a conversation is to say. I see where you're coming from, and then go into what you're saying, and then also the the help me understand because I think so often our response is no, you're wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. But when mm-hmm. you say help me understand where you're coming from, sometimes for the listener or for the person you're talking to, it actually helps them connect their own inconsistencies because they might have this one view about something, but they're not being consistent in the way they actually apply it. And so when you say, mm-hmm. well, help me understand how you feel this way about you know human dignity in this case, but then you don't necessarily apply it here and they have to now work that out. And sometimes you just, that's the end of the conversation. They give you some answer and maybe it's not, uh, fully formed or thought out. And then you say, okay, I I don't quite get it, but you know, um, at least we're thinking about it. And then they go home and they think through that process more and they end up kind of realizing their own blind spots and coming to a different conclusion. So I, I totally agree with that. Help me understand is one of the best things you can say to someone.
1: Yeah and that's a great uh bow to put on this i think um and so that's just maybe that's what your shirt says when you go to dinner it's just it's it's just that phrase help me understand
0: um, put down the turkey leg and help me understand. put down
1: the turkey put that's that, right yeah, exactly put it down yeah
0: <laughs> put it down
1: put that drumstick
2: down. don't throw it don't throw it at the person <laughs> don't do it it's not worth it don't, don't
1: do it uh thanksgiving well, murder. yeah turn it into a clue yeah um <laughs> Well, this has been great. Destiny, thanks. Really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed your insight. Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, This will, of course, be everywhere where podcasts exist. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, everywhere where podcasts exist. And so uh, we'll be back next week. Brandon and I, we still have to flesh out what we want to talk about next week. But we have some good ideas. And then in a couple of weeks, uh, I want to put this out there so you know to put it on the calendar. We will be doing our first Facebook Live broadcast um, December 4th. That's a Tuesday. So we normally release on Monday. That's going to be a little bit different that week. Uh, But we'll be doing a Facebook Live. We're going to be talking about the church's role in perpetuating slavery and racism. So that's going to be really kind of a fun conversation, I think. So, yeah, be uh, great. put that on the calendar, and uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening this time, and we'll catch you same time, same place next week. Thanks,
0: thanks, Destiny. Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, And then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.